0: Coming up next on Contemplate.
1: There's nothing wrong if you don't feel like you love Jesus, like like He's the first thing in your life that's all you want to think about. There's nothing wrong with not feeling that way because feelings are fleeting. They come and they go. If you base your life on feelings, good luck. You have to treat Jesus like He's first. Then the feelings follow.
0: Welcome to Contemplate a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson from Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we're looking in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, where Jesus tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. There's a lot for us to learn in this episode. So here's Pastor David with today's lesson recorded live at Acts Church.
1: says this is where in acts 1 verse 4 it says in being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me for john truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now therefore when they had come together they asked him saying lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right. So the first thing he says is, And being assembled together with them. Who's them? Who's them? We learned in the first three verses last week, he's talking about the apostles. So Jesus is about to go back to heaven. And before he goes, he wants to round up the disciples and give them some marching orders. It's the same time that we see him talking when we talked about the end of Matthew several weeks ago. We talked about the Great Commission. This is the same time. He's talking to the disciples. He's giving them. He's telling them this is what's going to happen. This is where the church is going to start. This is how it's going to go. So those are the people that he's got with him. And he commands them, it says... Not to depart from Jerusalem. Now, why does he have to say this? Why does he have to tell the disciples this? For me, I think, you know, growing up and learning about the Bible and so on, I just sort of always picture the disciples sort of living in Jerusalem because we hear about Jesus uh, doing all these things in Jerusalem, all these things that happen in Jerusalem. I just sort of picture them as living there. But the reason he has to tell them to not leave Jerusalem is because they're not from Jerusalem. The disciples are from Galilee. I have a map here. It was too small last time, but she did make it bigger. I don't know if we'll still be able to read it. I, at the top up here, you can see Galilee, okay? Kind of up near the, the north side there, you see Galilee. And down here, you see Jerusalem, all the way towards the bottom here. So they lived a long way from Jerusalem. So if he hadn't said, stay here, they would have gone home. Okay, so we know that. So that's, that's the first command he gives them, hang out, wait here. And he says, wait for the promise of the Father. Now, if they've been listening, if they've been understanding Scripture, then the disciples know what he's talking about when he says the promise. And we, in context, because we have the rest of the Bible and, and we understand what's going on, we know which promise he's talking about. Peter, in the second chapter of Acts, we'll see that Peter quotes a passage from the second chapter of Joel. And that's the passage that he's referring to here when he says the promise of the Father. And I'm going to read you that, that little section this is the promise of the father that Jesus is talking about. It's Joel chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 28. It says, "And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days." And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Jesus is saying, wait for the promise of the Father. That's the promise he's talking about, that that the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit in power in, in, in these days. So he's saying, this is, that's now. This is now. That's what's about to happen. Okay. So Joel, we're talking, depending on the date, there's, there's a few different methods for dating that book, but we're talking probably around 800 years before Christ was born. He writes this about this thing that's going to happen. He predicts that, that the Father is going, well, through the Holy Spirit, he says, he prophesies the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is telling them, hey, you're going to wait here, stay here and wait, because you're going to get that promise, that thing that we, that we, knew about from Joel, which he said, continuing in in verse 4, you have heard from me. Now, Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to send them the Holy Spirit. Whether or not they were listening, we sometimes find out that they didn't like to listen very much, or at least they heard what they wanted to hear. Luckily, none of us are ever like that. Um, But he told them. He said, hey, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. There's a couple passages. John 15, 26 through 27 Jesus said this. He said, But when the helper comes, the helper is the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. Let me let me back up for a second. I'm talking kind of fast here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity of God. This is a very complicated subject. If this is your first time here or your first time in church, I'm sorry. This is a <laughs> rough one because I don't, no matter how long you've been in the church, the Trinity is a complicated topic. And I and I'm not going to go fully into the whole thing, but let's put it this way: there's the Father. There's the Son, that's Jesus. There's the Holy Spirit. They're one God in three persons, one essence, okay? And the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. That's who we're talking about here when he talks about the promise of the Father, the Spirit's going to come. Whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about God as the Holy Spirit, okay? So he says, I'm going to send when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, remember, it's the promise of the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's predicting. He's telling them. This isn't John. This is before, well before, the ascension and all this, you know, Jesus going back up. He tells them, hey, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's the thing that's going to help you to witness for me. Now here in Acts, we see him saying, that's, that's now, that's this. This is what I told you about, which you have heard from me. Then he says, for John truly baptized with water... But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is not a sermon where I'm going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a concept that we will get into in Acts, in the second chapter of Acts. We talk about Pentecost. We'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into that right now. Suffice it to say that when he uses the word baptized in the Greek, it's baptizo. He's talking about immersion, overwhelming, submersion. You're talking about the Holy Spirit Immersing you. You're talking about having God become, uh, powerful within your life. That's what he's talking about when he says the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For, for today's message, that's, that's all we need to know. But he says, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, he's hearkening back to another prophecy. Let's put the one up with the two verses. So this is the verse we just read, Acts 1-5 and read on the, on your left. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Here's what Luke writes in Luke 3.16 about John the Baptist. John the Baptist answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now I want you to notice the sentence, John truly baptized with water... And what John says, I indeed baptize you with water. In Greek, they're the same sentence. Indeed and truly are the same word. It's the word men. And the the word means truly or indeed. There's a couple other things it can mean also. But Jesus is basically repeating. The only difference is John says you, and Jesus didn't say you. But he's basically repeating exactly what John had said. Bring into their memory because the disciples were there. Joel prophesied this. I told you about it. And John the Baptist told you that this was going to happen. So all of these things are going on. When Jesus is talking, they have all this content. The disciples have all this content. They they understand what he's saying. Okay, this is the thing. This is the thing that's coming. This is the thing that's going to be promised. This is a big deal. All right? So we know that. Now he says, not many days from now, the next part of the verse there. So this is about to happen. This is going to happen soon. So this is exciting. This is an exciting thing. It should be an exciting time. He's saying, I'm about to send you God with power. So the disciples should be pretty excited about that. Now, why didn't he give them, why didn't he give the disciples the Holy Spirit right then? Why wait? Why make them stay there and wait? Why not just hit them with the Holy Spirit and let them, and let them be baptized with the Holy Spirit right in that moment? Well, there's a couple reasons, okay. One is that he said already, I'm going to go first before I send the Holy Spirit. So we know that that was the timing. He had to go, then the Holy Spirit had to come. So he wasn't going to give it to them while he was still there. We also, as we'll learn when we get to chapter 2 and we talk about Pentecost, there was actually a very specific reason why the Holy Spirit needed to come on Pentecost. But for us, the important thing to remember, because from the disciples' frame of mind, they didn't know all that. They certainly didn't understand it. What they did understand, what we often have to understand, is that God does things in his timing. It's not our timing. We don't get to decide when something's going to happen. We often want God to work We often want him to do it when we want it, right now. That's how I am anyway. I've decided that I want this. Why don't I already have it? Let's go. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. God does things in his own own timing. And he's telling the the disciples right now, just wait. This is going to happen. It's going to happen soon, but you need to wait. Okay. It says, therefore, it's the next part of the verse here, therefore, because Jesus had told them this, when they had come together... They asked him, so so this is the question they asked him. They said this, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now we've seen through the gospels, if you've read through the gospels, we've seen that a lot of people were looking for the Messiah, for the anointed one to come and save Israel out of their troubles. They were at this time in history being oppressed by the Romans. The Romans had occupied the land of Israel. And the idea of the Messiah, as they understood it, was one who would come and restore the kingdom to Israel. Now, we're talking about the temporal kingdom of Israel, getting the Romans out of Israel in 30 A.D. ish, right? That's, that's sort of what they were looking for. And they've always been looking for it. They've always been saying, this is what the Messiah is going to come and do. Other people thought that, the disciples thought that, and then Jesus died on a cross. And that dream was over for them. This was over. Jesus was just another one who came and didn't end up being what people thought he might be. But then three days later, dude's walking around again. And everything changed. And the, the, the person who saw this happen should have realized, whoa, this is so much bigger than kicking Romans out of Israel. This is so much bigger of a thing. He's died. He's risen again. He's defeated death and hell. He's now able to save not us from our political problems, but our souls. We're able to come to him and find rest for our weary souls, and he can forgive our sins. That's the message that's trying to get across. But the disciples are still stuck, even after all this, are still stuck in, hey, will you just restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus has just told the disciples, I'm going to give you God. I'm going to literally immerse you in the Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit, in God. And they say, are you going to to get rid of the Romans? Because that's what I'm focused on. I can't seem to get my mind off of this thing that I'm on here about the Romans. Now, we're going to come back to that, to their issue in a minute. Let's let's move forward, finish the passage here. It says, and he sort of gives them a, a small rebuke. He basically says, Hey, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times, to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. But rather, think about this. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he's saying, Stop thinking about that. Think about this. I'm about to give you God, I'm about to give you power. You're going to be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he rose from the dead, that he's defeated death and hell, and there's good news that we can be saved, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's the good news. That's what they're going to be witnesses of. They're going to need some help. He's going to send it to them in the form of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what they need to concentrate on. Now, there's a lot more we could say about the times and seasons thing that he says here. A lot more. We don't have time for that today. But what we do need to understand is he's telling them that they're going to be witnesses of the hope the hope of resurrection, that they need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And then we see this pattern, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and my map isn't up anymore, but if you saw it, Jerusalem's in Judea and then out to Judea. So you've got to think about like Camas, Southwest Washington, Portland area, everywhere. That's, that's, that's how he's looking at it, right? These concentric circles of the gospel going out, starting strategically, He's not haphazard. He starts strategically at Jerusalem. We'll see how it works as we go through, how he makes it go in all these different places. It's really an amazing thing because God, of course, had it all planned. But that's what he's telling them. So that's what we're going to see in the church. Now, what can we learn from this passage? Lots of stuff. But let's concentrate on what I have in my notes because that's all I've got. So, here we see Jesus telling the disciples that a promise of God is going to be fulfilled. They're going to get God, the Holy Spirit. And the first thing they say is not amazing, awesome, great, give us the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit. The first thing they say is, okay, cool, but do I get what I want? Do I get what I want now? I've been following, I've been doing my thing, I've been waiting for this. I've tried to be faithful. The whole time I've had in my mind what I want I want the Romans out. I want Israel restored, the kingdom of Israel restored. Here and now, I want political freedom. Mark Driscoll is a pastor um, who some of you have probably heard of, and I do not agree with many things that he says, many things he's done, but he has said some good things. He has said some things that are true, and I want to talk about one of those things. Mark talks about how we create for ourselves functional saviors and functional heavens for the man who's lonely He creates this functional hell of loneliness for himself and this functional heaven of being married. And then he goes out and seeks his functional savior, that woman, fiance, girlfriend, whatever, that will save him from his functional hell of loneliness and bring him to his functional heaven of being married. And instead of it being Jesus is my ultimate savior, it's I've got to solve my own little heaven and hell problem. That's what I've got to solve. The person who's in debt. Their functional hell is not being able to pay those bills and the embarrassment and all the things that come from that. And functional heaven is, hey, having enough money to, to pay everything and have a little extra. And the functional savior there becomes money, which is a functional savior for a lot of us sometimes. A person who wants children doesn't have children. Children can become the functional savior. Anything can become your functional savior. Your spouse, your children, your parents, a sports team, your house, hobbies. Drug, sex, rock and roll, whatever, right? Any of these things can be the thing that we look to to find life because we have recast heaven and hell as those things which make us happy or sad. But there's a real heaven and a real hell, and they're higher than these things. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you God. I'm going to give you God. And we often say, but can I just have a wife? Can I just not be sick? and just have some money? Yes, getting God, that's, that's fantastic. Throw that in, but I want this thing. That's what I really want. But we can't find life in those things. There is no life in those things. There is no life in anything except for Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're here, because Jesus Christ is life. He says in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's saying, listen, I'm trying to tell you something here. This is not just something for you to print on a coffee cup. I'm life. Life comes from me. Life doesn't come from somewhere else. There is nothing else that will give it to you. Look to me. Don't find a functional Savior because a functional Savior can't save you. I can save you. See, we can use Jesus. We can use God like a functional Savior. Not caring about him for him, but caring about him for his stuff, for what he can do for us. That's what the disciples were doing here. It wasn't a functional savior of money. It wasn't a functional savior of of someone. It was Jesus that they were looking to. To do what? To give them what they wanted. He says, I'll give you me. I'll give you God. I'll give you my spirit. They say, just give me Israel. And I'll be be good. That's what I'm looking for. Are you going to do that now? That's what we do. Not everybody can be super excited about reading the Bible. Not everybody can get up in the morning and be like, oh give me that Bible. Where's my Bible? I'm going to get into that thing. Like, oh, I got to go to work. Well, I'm bringing the Bible, away, man. As soon as I have a break, I'm getting back into the Bible. And tonight and this weekend, Bible time, right? Prayer closet, it's on. Calling your friends, tweeting, prayer closet time, boom. Unless you're just trying to brag. Some of you, you know, don't get me started. Okay. It's hard to do that. It's hard to be into Jesus like that. It's very easy when you first meet your spouse to be super into them and excited and whatever and infatuated. And in some ways, it's very easy to be that way about Jesus when we first come to know him and recognize what he's done for us and saving us. But to continue to seek him first, not for his stuff, not for what he can do, not coming to him to fix things, but to seek him first, that is a discipline. Kind of like when you get married to your spouse, it's not always fantastic for you. It's not always butterflies in your stomach. You have to have discipline. You have to work towards it. You have to start acting like you would act if you love somebody, even when you don't feel it. There's nothing wrong if you don't feel like you love Jesus, like, like he's the first thing in your life that's all you want to think about. There's nothing wrong with not feeling that way because feelings are fleeting. They come and they go. If you base your life on feelings, good luck. You have to treat Jesus like he's first. Then the feelings follow. You start treating people that are difficult, with love and affection, and you start praying for them, you start pouring into them, not too long from then, that investment starts to pay off, and you start to actually start to love them. That's the way it is with Jesus. we got to seek him. we got to know him. we got to want him, but we have to want him first. Can't want the Xbox first. Can't want Jesus for his Xbox. Nobody is going to heaven because they want stuff. Those who are in heaven are going to be there because they want Jesus because to be there for any other reason would be really boring because that's what it's about. It's about relationship with him. And he's saying here, look, I want to give you me. And the disciples aren't getting it. But if we believe that Jesus died, rose from the dead, and is God, he should probably be our number one priority. Is that fair? Unless you know someone else who rose from the dead, um, I think we probably should be giving Jesus some pretty seriously high priority. If he's God, if he created the sun and the moon and the stars and you and everybody else in this room, I think we should be giving him high priority. And if he's number one and he's called us to serve him as his body in his church and we're supposed to worship him in that context and, and be there and do that, how often should we be here? Should it be a priority or something we do and we can make it? If he's called us to press into him and into relationship and to make him number one, should we be giving our time, our talents, our treasures to him? Are you serving Christ first? Because it should show in everything. It should show in what you talk about. It should show in what you brag about. It should show in what you sacrifice for. It should show on your bank statement. You should be giving to your local church. You should be doing and serving and giving your time and all of these things. And that's what we do when we love someone and we want to make them first. And Jesus is saying, you get me. You get me. Stop worrying about solving your personal heaven and hell problem and start thinking about the real heaven and the real hell and that there are people going somewhere and that we're supposed to, as a church, be a part of that of helping people come to know Jesus. So the disciples were hung up on their problem. They were hung up on it. They continually hung up on it. You know, restore Israel. But Jesus was doing something more than that. He's giving them his Holy Spirit. And guess what? As we're going to find out, we get the Holy Spirit too. We get the power of God. We all need to stop looking to our functional heavens and keep our eyes on Jesus. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the stuff, all the stuff will be added unto you. Because he knows what you need. But when you concentrate on what you need instead of him, you're missing it. You're missing it. We're here for a little time. If We get focused all the time on what we think we need, what we think we want. Boy, what a shallow existence. But if we're concentrated on Him all the time, He'll make sure we have all those things so we can enjoy them together with Him. Want God first. And then let the rest fall into place.
0: I really like what Pastor David said about using discipline first and feelings will follow. That can help us not only in our faith, but our relationships, jobs, and all kinds of things. More practical truth from God's Word. And if you'd like more, let me invite you to come here, Pastor David, this Sunday morning at Axe Church. Get directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org, or call 360-885-9000. Well, that's it for today. Hope you'll click on the next episode for more with our teacher, Pastor David Robinson, here on Contemplate.